the Appendix N Podcast, Episode 2, The Book of Wonder by Lord Dunsany. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. In this show, we talk about the stories and authors that inspired Dungeons and Dragons. In the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide, published 1979, Gary Gygax listed his favorite fantasy authors and suggested they be inspirational reading for anyone who wanted to run a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Some of these authors and their creations are well known, such as H.P. Lovecraft, Robert E. Howard, and J.R.R. Tolkien. But many of these authors have been long forgotten by fans of fantasy literature and fantasy gaming. And even if you are the geekiest of geeks, the nerdiest of nerds, well, people are reading less these days. Maybe they don't have the time, maybe they don't have the interest. Some of these ancient tomes can be pretty dry and dusty to the modern reader. But these books should not be forgotten. They form the foundation of our hobby. And since Dungeons & Dragons has inspired countless creators of film and video games since 1974, it's fair to say these books form the foundation of much of gaming and popular culture. Every month on this show, we will read a book and talk about it. We'll review the story, talk about what it means for modern audiences, and how it relates to Dungeons & Dragons. If you would like to be a part of the show, you can email the host of The Tome Show, Jeff Greiner, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. At the end of every episode, I will mention what book we're going to be reading next, so listen for that. Uh, Disclaimer, I and my guests are not professionals. Uh, I played a little D&D with 2nd edition, but I didn't play seriously with dedicated groups of people until 3rd. I have not read most of the authors on this list, so I am learning as I go. Uh, My research, if it can be called that before each show, basically consists of reading the book and then looking up the author on Wikipedia. There are no prerequisites for being a guest on my show other than having a love of Dungeons and Dragons and a love of reading it. So let's get to it. But before we get to the program, let us take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, online retailer of new and out-of-print role-playing games, board games, and miniatures since 1997. They have helped thousands of gamers from around the world save money and find exactly what they need. You can find them on the web at www.noblenight.com. My pick for this episode is the role-playing game Grimm by Fantasy Flight Games. You can find it at Noble Knight for $10. This episode is all about the Book of Wonder by Lord Dunsany, and I'm joined by my guests Craig Benzinger and Eloy Cintron, whose name I just mispronounced, even though he told me how to pronounce it moments before. Uh, Eloy, why don't you introduce yourself first? Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Eloy Cintron. I've been uh, playing D&D since 1980. I started with uh, basic D&D, then swiftly moved to advanced, and I've basically played every edition since. I'm... Um, I'm an RPG collector, much like uh, the Tome Show editor, Sam Dillon. Um, I have tons of RPGs. And I also read a lot of fantasy and sci-fi novels, including a lot of the Appendix N authors. Um, I like Robert E. Howard and Fritz, Fritz Leiber and Michael Moorcock, as well as uh, contemporary fantasy. So, yeah, I'm happy to be here. First podcast ever. All right. Well, uh, let's hope it's a good one. And Craig, uh, I've known you for uh, quite some time, but why don't you introduce yourselves to to the listeners? 
certainly. Uh, my name is Craig Benziger. Uh, I have been playing D&D and a variety of other role-playing games uh, since around 1994 or so, um, which is when I was in high school, picked up the hobby, and uh, really never set it down since. Um, I uh, played, at that time, uh, AD&D 2nd Edition, um, and uh, from then have also since played 3rd uh, and 4th as well. Um, it's a long-standing habit. I'm actually attempting to, at this point, pass it on to uh, my children, which is going well enough so far. Uh, as for what I like to read, um, a, a lot of things, uh, primarily science fiction and fantasy, um, with some other, you know, sort of speculative history, um, fiction sort of things thrown in. Uh, some of the authors on the appendix end list, uh, Tolkien, uh, Ursula K. Le Guin, uh, you know, uh, have not yet actually read some lo much Lovecraft, although I, I have a, a every intention to. It's just one of those things, finding the time. Um, and, uh, uh, but otherwise, otherwise, uh, you know, Isaac Asimov, uh, is probably my favorite author overall. Um, and then Tolkien coming in, uh, a close second to that. Um, and, uh, that pretty much sums this up for me. And, and have either of you read any Lord Dunsany before? No, not personally, not before this. I haven't either, but uh, I was aware that uh, he was uh, one of the uh, primary uh, sources of inspiration for many of uh, the Appendix N authors. So he's like really a primary source within that um, within that group. Yeah, I was I was surprised. According to Wikipedia, he's he's uh, he influenced Tolkien, he influenced Lovecraft, and he influenced uh, Ursula K. Le Guin. So uh, yeah, he's he's a He's apparently a, a major player who's gone unnoticed for far too long. Yeah, um, having having read some of the like the Le Guin stuff, especially like I can he, I can see some of where that that influence comes from. <laughs> so uh, he's just listed in Appendix N as Dunsany, comma Lord, uh, <laughs> and he's one of the authors that Gygax lists with no titles picked out. So I had to sort of pick out the titles that I wanted to focus on, and I picked. Uh, the Book of Wonder, which we're going to talk about today, and The King of Elfland's Daughter, his uh, most uh, well-known novel, which we're going to read a bit later on. Um, so I'm going to uh, tell you a little bit of the of the history of Lord Dunsany that, that I uh, researched uh, thoroughly uh, on the internet. Uh, <laughs> he was born Edward John Morton Drax Plunkett, the 18th Baron of Dunsany. So he is or was actually a, a uh, British uh, noble uh, and, an, and an Irish noble. Uh, he, was, he was born in 1878 and he died 1957. Uh, he was an Irish writer and dramatist notable for his work mostly in fantasy, published under the name Lord Dunsany. More than 80 books of his work were published and his oeuvre includes many hundreds of published short stories as well as successful plays, novels, and essays. Um, he was born to the second oldest title in the Irish peerage. He lived much of his life at perhaps I Ireland's longest inhabited home, Dunsany Castle near Tara, uh, which I looked up on Google Maps, and there it is. <laughs> uh, 
He, he worked with uh, W.B. Yeats and Lady Gregory, received an honorary doctorate from Trinity College, uh, was chess and pistol shooting champion of Ireland, and traveled and hunted extensively, so you didn't want to mess with him. Uh, he died in Dublin after an attack of appendicitis, which uh, sounds like a card you might play in Gloom. <laughs> uh, Dunsany began writing in the late 1890s and burst onto the publishing scene with The Gods of Pagana, which has a weird accent mark in it, so I'm not sure if I'm yes. pronouncing that right. Uh, <laughs> the Gods of Pagana in 1905. His first stories were set in an invented world with its own gods, history, and geography. Gee, what does that sound like? Yep. <laughs> Dunsany's style varied significantly throughout his career. According to literary scholar S.T. Joshi, uh, the Book of Wonder, published in 1912, uh, seems to be a parody of his earlier lofty style, which makes me wonder in retrospect if we shouldn't have read some of those other works first. Uh, but what's, what's done is done. Uh, the Book of Wonder is the seventh book and fifth original short story collection of Lord Dunsany. Uh, he employed the talents of Sidney Syme to illustrate his fantasy short story collections, but for the Book of Wonder, uh, it's unique in that uh, Sidney Syme drew the illustrations first and Dunsany wrote the tales around him. Uh, he's quoted as saying, I found Mr. Syme one day in his strange house at Warplesdon complaining that editors did not offer him very suitable subjects for illustration. So I said, why not do any pictures you like, and I will write stories explaining them, which may add a little air to their mystery. Uh, after the Book of Wonder, uh, Dunsany went on to write many well-received plays and poetry. His poetry was even quoted by F. Scott Fitzgerald in This Side of Paradise. Uh, Dunsany eventually began writing novels, and his most well-known novel, The King of Elfland's Daughter, was published in 1924 and is the inspiration for the Neil Gaiman film Stardust. Did anyone see Stardust? Yes, actually I, I did. I, I, I own it, but I haven't seen it. It's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. It's, a, it's, it's not bad. Uh, it, it's got... Um, well, you'll see. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard very good things about it. I just I haven't had a chance to watch it. But we're not talking about that today. No. Uh, we are talking about the Book of Wonder, which we all read. Uh, what would you guys think of this? This is this was um, this was a bit different from the last thing we read on the show. Yes, uh, as I uh, as I told you earlier, I think uh, it, it's a it's a style of writing that uh, seems to be the inspiration for the later authors because it it almost seemed seems incomplete he, he he starts like the tale um midway through through the action gives a very interesting uh and a description with a very evocative language and just heaps on fantastic places and uh, all sorts of uh, interesting sounding uh names and uh it just it, it seems very evocative but but somehow it doesn't seem too mature. I don't know if, if I'm explaining myself, uh, but it doesn't seem as polished or as fully developed as the authors that came after him. They're 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 definitely not um, long format stories with like a beginning, a middle, and an end, and established characters and dramatic arcs and things like that. They're they're almost like like he's he's painting uh, scenes with 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 words. 
Um, yeah, I was, I was going to say, Jeff, it, it, much almost to, to what you were saying there, it, it, it goes along with, you know, he was re- really almost with words painting out the scene that was that he was basing the you know it on the illustrations done by Syme. Um so I, I think that was it, again very very descriptive very detailed in the descriptive um you know so, oh, sometimes i think to the point um where it may may have seemed overloaded but that was again i think kind of to your point where he was talking about now that we i didn't i didn't know about the parody part but i uh, so i it may be almost to a parody his earlier style of, of, of that. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm I'm really regretting now that we that we actually started with this book and <laughs> didn't read his his earlier stuff. But uh, yeah, he's 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 very deliberately. He he's I I I think he's he's very intentionally not telling a traditional, you know, narrative where where we introduce a character and gradually get to know him and you know there's a beginning a middle and an end, right? I mean. Most of these stories, very little, if anything, uh, actually happens, right? Uh, I yeah. mean, the, the, the very first story, uh, The Bride of the Man Horse, is, I, I think, just like a four-page description of, of joy. Like, that, mm-hmm. that, that's how I, I would describe the story, because all, 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 all that happens is we're introduced to a centaur named uh, Sheparok, and the entire story is him just prancing through the countryside, and eventually he uh, picks up a, a a princess to be his bride and runs away with her. But it's just descriptions of this fabulous countryside and what and how glorious it is to be a a virile young centaur in you know the the in the world, right? And it, mm-hmm. it just goes on and on and on. Yeah, it, and it, you know it's interesting that you say about the, the the you know the just a description of joy because at, not for every one of the stories, but there are some of them that really do seem to be simply sort of a description of of an emotion um, or or a or a, a, a sentiment, I, I guess you could say, like for you know for um, like if you look at Chubu and and Shemesh, that's sort of just a straight up description of of a jealousy or or the envy sort of thing. Um, and, and, and there is uh, literally nothing happening in that story. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's literally two idols sitting in a, in a room, thinking thoughts at each other. Yes. Yes, um, but the language is very evocative. I mean, with mm-hmm. with uh, with for such uh, short pieces, uh, he does wonders with the language and the sounds, Absolutely. and like you say, it just it just paints a picture in your mind. Uh, which complements perfectly the illustrations by uh, Mr. Syme, I think. And um... Um, yeah, I, I will say to to the when you're talking about like uh, the illustrations, I think probably my favorite uh, of the ones that I, I I saw in that was in that um, that really great um, uh, what was that the the Library of Congress online version that that you had uh, pointed us at Aloy. Um, yes, I think that my favorite. Was the for the um, I, was, I have another edition here that 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 calls it the loot of Bombasharna, but it's the one with the the pirate um, and and the the queen, and I love that illustration of of the little island uh, and the pirate is sitting at the table with the queen and there's a sail just attached to a tree and I I, I loved just that illustration and I thought that he did uh-huh. like. And in, in in the Library of Congress, it's on the last page, so you don't get to see that illustration until you get to the end, 
and then you're and and you can almost say wow how hilarious would it be if that really was the size of the island that this guy had gone after and that was his great treasure and it almost added an element of 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 humor and irony to to it at the end true true and um, um, uh, the illustrations are fantastic. I mean, I love the one that says the edge of the world and the one called yes. the ominous cough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're just so rich. And uh, I mean, I, I think it's very interesting the way he wrote this book. And there is actually a role-playing game uh, made by Jonathan Tweet in the uh, 90s. And Jonathan Tweet worked on third edition, I believe. Um, and he, he did this game for, for Watsy called Everway, which plays on this uh, concept of looking at art and deriving a story and uh, setting and even characters uh, using art as the basis of the, uh, of the whole game. So uh, I think it's wonderful that this... The, the way they did this uh, just ties in so well with that game. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it is, it is, I just checked and it is available on Noble Knight. <laughs> well, there you go. Maybe, what, what, what was the, the name of, of that again? It's called Everway. Ever, Everway, like, like W-A-Y, Way? Yeah. I'll have to check that out. That sounds really yeah, interesting. That, that does sound really interesting. It sounds really, really cool. Yeah, it's a, um, it's, a, it's a different concept, and they did it in the uh, in the 1990s. It's like sort of the granddad of all these uh, story games that we have right now. It's mm -hmm. it's it's a very much a traditional role play, playing game in a sense that you know the players don't have any uh, uh, control over the story. Uh, it's very traditional in that the DM does it, but it has the element of the art and the interpretation of both the player and the DM uh, to build this uh, world that you play in. So it's it's kind of interesting. I guess I guess I'll, I'll have to check that out. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. Um, so we 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 have quite a few stories that that are just about someone someone getting getting lost in in fantasy, right? There's there's Miss Cubbage mm. and the dragon. She just gets mm -hmm. whisked away and spends the rest of her life in, in Fairyland. There's um there's the wonderful window. Oh yeah. Uh there and very similar to that one is is the coronation of, of Mr. Shap, which is just about a a, a I think a salesman who just yes. starts who just starts like imagining in his in his head and he he'd never he he'd never imagined before until you know the, the the story begins and he just imagined he's the king of this of this fantasy world and he just gets lost in his own in his own imagination and that's and that's all all that happens yeah, yeah that, it was interesting i the, the way that they they took that he had that almost realistic approach i mean you knew it was his imagination but that they took it to the point at the end of that where He's actually, I guess, being, you know, he's sort of in like a, a care home. <laughs> yeah. Because he's gotten I, himself so lost. I actually checked because the story mentions that he has a dormitory in Hanwell. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, by the time that they mentioned that, this is like the last paragraph, you pretty much figure out he's, he's gone crazy. Uh, but I actually looked it up and there was an insane asylum 
The Middlesex County Lunatic Asylum, commonly referred to as the Hanwell Asylum. So, you know, that confirms that. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, you know, you, 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 you have to... Uh, you have to you have to wonder if if you know if if, if this is how, um, you know Dunsany Dunsany was 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 writing at at a time when, you know and 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 he he lived in a in a world where probably um, ac- acknowledging fantasy, was probably not um, proper. Yes, mm-hmm. I, I want to say so. He he probably had had a hard time. You know, talking about the stuff he was working on, the talk and stuff he was interested in, with with you know friends, friends and colleagues. That's just just what you what you didn't didn't do. And I think that what you just mentioned is precisely what makes him like the grandfather of this Appendix N authors. He he sort of blazes the way as I see it because I think he's one of the earliest who starts writing, and he influences everybody else and makes like. Uh, he, he opens this world of imagination uh, and says, you know, it's all right to write like this. So he, this is probably why other authors started making up their own worlds and their own pantheons, like the gods of Pagana that is mentioned. Uh, so I think this is why he is uh, so relevant uh, to the rest of the Appendix N. And I, I, I just want to re- remind everyone that, that Burroughs was... Uh, uh, Burroughs, who we talked about in the last episode, published uh, a, a Princess of Mars just the year before in in uh, uh, America, and and he he you know there was a, a, already a pulp magazine you know tra- tra- tradition going going strong over over, over there. So um, I mean there was there was there was already people making up making up worlds and making up up, up fantasy. I don't I don't think Dunsany um in, invented this. But mm-hmm. uh yeah, it it certainly must have been something to see this this coming from someone with land and and titles. Uh and even even Burroughs thought, you know, what he was doing was was garbage at at the time that he started started writing. It was just a way it was just a job. It was it was a way to make to make money. You know, when when he was bored at work, working working for his his brother, but Dunsany was you know clearly a man who who didn't need any any money. He was he was doing this as an as an as an art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does mention that Dunsany published the Gods of Pagana in 1905. That's true. Which is so you know. So I mean, I'm sure I'm sure the, the, these traditions. Uh, started at the uh, turn of the century, and uh, um, this is very tightly linked to pulp fiction because not all pulp fiction was, uh, you know, sword and sorcery type stuff. Mm-hmm. There was also this uh, pseudo-realistic, you know, detectives and uh, gunfights and that type of uh, modern setting. Um, but you know, it, it, it's interesting to see. Uh, Right there was there was there was the travel log cuz you know there was yeah cuz cuz Britain at this time was an, was an empire so mm-hmm. they they had colonies all all over the world and I guess at, you know at, at this time you could read in the in the in the newspaper or whatever you know reports of what those silly natives were were doing in the in the far flung uh British British colonies which I I imagine is where some of the tales in this book come from such as 
uh, the prayers of Pombo the idolater. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and I was going to say, one of the things I was talking about, like, kind of bridging the the gap between the sort of the old fantasy stories, if you think back to, you know, the ancient Greeks where, you know, with the classics, and, and, you know, we think of those as fantasy, of course, and... And and they were still considered classics, but they weren't part of, I guess you could say, from from his time, modern fantasy. And he sort of starts bridging the gaps with those. Um, and I'm again, I'm trying to get to because there's a, totally different titles between two of the the versions that I was looking at here. Um, but you've got things like the uh, the like probable adventures of the three literary men. Right, so you've got where they're talking about, you know, in ancient times, and you have Slith, the 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 sort of he's held up as sort of this paragon of, of thieves of 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 lore, um, and then and then you come to the more modern uh, time where it's you know the story about Nuth, and that's you know more almost a modern tale because it, it's really bringing it into well, this is still happening sort of present day. And and he connects the two because he actually references, you know, back to his other story mm-hmm. in in his more modern, and he's kind of tying it together and saying, look, these stories aren't something that's new or to be frowned upon. It's something that is is timeless. Yes, yes. And there's there's quite a few stories about about thieves. These thieves seems to be very <laughs> very very popular. You know, tying tying this into um, Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Um, you know, Craig, you you mentioned to me the, the 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 I think the second story in the book, uh, the distri- the distressing tale of Thangobrind, the the jeweler. Yes. Features a thief um, plucking a what is it? it uh, like a like an it's idol a, or something. It's a diamond. He's plucking a diamond from from the statue of a god in a temple. And it, it's um, a, it's a spider god. And it's a spidery god that eventually and and who is apparently represented by an old woman. Which I, I read that and I was like, oh, well, I don't know when, you know, if and when they came up with the idea of Loth, but there she is. <laughs> I, no, I, I read it as like the the old the the old woman in the forest was a separate entity. Ah, uh, okay, and I just I just sort of took it as she was sort of the harbinger of of the thing. But either way, you know, the spider god. I mean, you know, one way or the other. <laughs> Yes, definitely, and you should look at the illustration for that because the uh, yeah. illustration sort of places where everybody is relative to each other, mm-hmm. and it's just fantastic. Um, I'm trying uh, to find it now. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, on. that's the ominous cough. Oh, oh that's the, the ominous, ominous cough. cough. Yes. Yeah, because that, that has the two people hung up on the tree, and yes, I don't I don't know how it is on yours, but mine like the illustration is really small, and you just have to really zoom in to see anything. A, yes. a little bit, yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's it's it. I mean, it's it's most you know it's a black and white, but you can see you know the two people hung up on the thing. You've got the thief kind of skulking in the foreground, and and it's just and all the you know there's all sorts of the spider webs all around. It it's it's very iconic in a in a fantasy sense. Um, even even if even if you take out the the spider god or the spider specifically portion of that, it's it's the iconic sort of adventure. It's you know robbing the evil temple of this mm-hmm. thing, and you know it. And and in most of his stories, actually, I, I did find it interesting. Most of the stories, the characters came out to sort of a bad end. Yeah. Um, yes. 
<laughs> not all of them. The, the first one um, in there, the man horse, you know, that was that was very sort of triumphant and, and well, sort of unless uh, you were the princess and you didn't well, want to be married to a man horse. True, true. Um, <laughs> but for the for the I guess you could say for the protagonist in the story, it sort of most of them don't come out very well. Yeah, I mean, Slith uh, falls off the edge of the world. And falls for eternity. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. so. laughs> I think that he has a lot of, of uh, horror elements that I can see where the H.P. Uh, uh, Lovecraft uh, may have drawn, drawn some of his inspiration because uh, the story of Thangabrin, as we just mentioned, with the spider god, and the story called The House of the Sphinx, yes. that's also a very tense uh, situation that yeah, he finds I, himself I, I like the illustration for for, for that one because because I I read the story first before uh-huh. I even saw the the illustration and it starts with um you know I, I I saw a deed hidden by by a by a cloak and then you get to the illustration and it's it's a body yes yeah. yes which which I, I kind of figured but like that's such a great way to describe like a a dead body lying on the floor it was a deed hidden hidden by, by a cloak as only a cloak may may hide a deed right but there's the prevailing horror element in the same illustration you see a monster's hand clawing through the door and the servants desperately trying to hold it closed so there's a definite uh horror element you know going through these stories which i i thought was uh, was amazing uh, uh, there's two stories which I thought were going to be very, very D and D like, uh, which is the uh, Horde of the Gibbelins. Oh, yeah, yep. And, and the Nuth would have practiced his art upon the Gnolls, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, well, Gibbelins is probably goblins, yeah. and Gnolls are probably Gnolls. So I'm, I'm thinking, okay, and the monsters are so sinister. They, 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 they're silent. They don't make a single sound. Yeah. And I think that adds an element of horror, which maybe sometimes we, uh, uh, in our common D&D games, we, we sort of, you know, oh, it's a bunch of goblins. You know, we fight goblins every day. And and the way he portrays them, he made him really spooky. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I thought it was a very interesting well, my, twist. My understanding of, of how Gygax ran, like, his original D&D games was, like, like the players didn't get any rules like they didn't get a monster manual you know they didn't get to to know what the creature was it was just there's a thing in the dark and, it, and it's coming for you and that was yeah. that was how how gygax ran his games yeah there, there are elements of where i kind of almost you know in my in my early gaming days i, I you know I, I there's times where you miss that sort of thrill um you know having not knowing what it is um you, you, you know now you, you get to that point where you're you you just you've done it so often that you know they sort of describe it and you're like oh i know what that is and, and even yes. if you don't you know that if you stab it enough times it's it's probably gonna die yeah you know mm-hmm. I, I i i got a chance at one of the most recent cons i went to to actually play like like a first edition style game i think it was like swords and wizardry like it was it was a first mm-hmm. edition clone and we were just going through these ice caves and there were the, were these little blue be- these little blue humanoids and that was all the gm gave us we like we never found out what they were or why they were there or <laughs> they they just killed us over and over and over again 
but that's great. That injects a sense of wonder into the game that you may lose, you know, after reading so many monster manual entries. Mm -hmm. That 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 adds an element of, uh, I don't know, surprise or uh, suspense, I guess. Yeah, and and it, it it does. It really like and those like the gibberlings, like you know, they don't even you know they didn't even smile. Like there was no, there wasn't any pleasure they necessarily seemed to gain out of the the guys the the out of the the Alderic's defeat. You know, he was just they were just there, and that was his end. <laughs> yeah, it's the spookiest thing. He's underwater and he surfaces, and they're standing waiting for him, like looking at him, and they're absolutely silent. I, I thought that was a, a very excellent description. And, and after like everything that he went through too, like he, he I think he, he tamed a dragon. Yeah. Like, yes. he, he planned this for like years and years. Uh, you know, there, and there's earlier, there's a story about um, uh, the, the quest of the queen's tears. Oh, that, yes. That where, was. <laughs> yeah. Like again, like the hero does everything right. And he, he, he still doesn't win. Right. Yes, there is an element of perversity <laughs> to some of the tales, <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah, and I, I was gonna, now come, kind of going a little bit in in a different um, direction. I, I, I had it pulled up in front of me. I, I the uh, the injudicious prayers of Pombo, uh, the idolater, and and I know you had mentioned that before. You know, sort of the you know that's kind of the looking at the you know looking at those primitives and whatever but what what's interesting in there is he talks about this guy being in London so he's clearly bringing it again sort of present day and you know maybe not so much D&D &D, but certainly in the modern fantasy sort of uh, of a of an idea um, almost something fantasy. yeah almost something you know semi uh, Lovecraft semi Dresden files almost where you've got sort of the modern day or or quote unquote modern day since we're talking about you know turn of the century right but but with with mystical elements worked in right and yeah and I, I like you know that certainly was definitely you know you can tell that that would influential on uh, on a lot of different things and and you can even run you know you can run D and D campaigns where it's it's semi modern day one of the the most fun ones I had you know, started actually in a fantasy realm and then you, you kind of, it, it morphed into, you went through this portal and there you are in, in sort of, you know, modern day as these adventures and now you have to figure out, you know, well, what happened here? Or or in, in reverse, like like with yeah. with, with Narnia or, or, you know, Harry Potter, you, you start in the real world and then you, you step through something like a wonderful window. Right. Hey, and actually, it's funny you said that because all of a sudden I just went to speaking of Dungeons and Dragons, like the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon series in the eighties. There, there you that go. That <laughs> the uh, juxtaposition of worlds um, is is just really interesting. And then uh, and again, he winds up again going back to Slith. He winds up falling off just like Slith did. <laughs> yeah, combo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I think I think the edge of the world is the very first illustration in in the book, like before yes. before you get to any story. So it's it's sort yeah. of like like this this is the theme that's running throughout the entire book. Like like these these are sto these are stories from the edge of the world. You know, come come with me. The edge of reality, even. Yeah. yeah. Yes. 
And that's actually the illustration that goes with the story of the probable adventure of the three literary men. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's Leith uh, jumping off the edge of the world right yes. there. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I have, to, I have to flip to get to it. And, yeah. yeah. But... <laughs> I, 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 and speaking of, of which, the other, the other thing that I liked in there is they had the three thieves. And, you know, they, they, I like the description that he uses. He doesn't tell you what happens. Again, it's that indirect, like like with Jeff, we were talking about the the story where you know a deed behind a cloak. Um, you know, the one unwisely tries to flee; the other unwisely tries to hide. They don't tell you why that was unwise. Because again, I think but that's you're left the, to assume. And this 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 reminded me of of uh, Tolkien in you know the the, the way he. Pre presents uh, Sauron as just like yes. this, this shadowy presence. I I, I think it, it even mentions a, a a a red eye. It does actually somewhere and, in the in the story. Yeah. It also reminds me of Lovecraft. This is again the nameless horror. You know, it it, it comes to the point where it's best to jump into the abyss than to even run or hide. I mean, uh, Slith, I think, is, is portrayed as making the, the best the, choice, just yes, jump the off the edge of the world. The <laughs> where, I, I suppose he would eventually die of starvation and, and, and lack of air. I don't, I don't, you know. yes. and, yet, and yet that seems to be better than standing there before this thing gets you. I think, so. I think the same thing happens in the in the Sphinx story. The, the, the protagonist, who is assumed to be uh, Dunsany him, himself, the the author comes in from this forest, and then the forest is described as being so terrible. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But it, it's it's still better to run out into the forest than stay in the Sphinx's house waiting for whatever is coming. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I, and I, I I'm gonna say one of the things I I'm really glad. Um, in in a lot of ways, I'm really glad I read this, not just because of being able to do the podcast here, Jeff. Um, but you know, to take some of these ideas. And translate them into, you know, bring some, I guess you could say bring some freshness into, into, into some games, you know, to run, um, mm -hmm. you know, not just, you know, freshness in that, you know, the ideas are, are, you know, haven't been visited in, 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 in such a long time because, you know, like, like we were saying, you, you get kind of into the, the almost not exactly a rut, but you just get into the same sort of habit of, of things being exactly, you know the same, and and just introducing, you know, elements that that are unexpected, or even yes, definitely, and and even uh, what we mentioned, just uh, changing the character or the portrayal of the monsters that you commonly use. Mm -hmm. If you play your goblins like the sinister Gibbons or the even uh, you know the Knolls, uh Wow, the, the 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 experience should change because the, they're no longer the same. You know, screaming hordes of goblins coming at you. Now it's something more sinister. It's different. Mm -hmm. They're like they're like boogeymen. Yeah, yeah, and 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 actually, that I, I keep thinking about it, and I know it's not directly related to D and D, but it's certainly in the horror and the fantasy sort of genre. It's one of the reasons why that one episode, uh, the the silence, the episode in uh, of um, in, Buffy in, the Vampire Slayer, where it's completely silent through most of the episode because the, these creatures bring silence with them and they mute everything. And that's and so there's just no sound. So you can't hear them coming and and they don't make any sound themselves. It's just this eerie looming figure. Mm-hmm. 
I, 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 at first, I thought you were you were talking about about the silence from Doctor Who, but that's I, that's, I know, that's and that's even... why I had to, that's why I, I made sure to quickly clarify. <laughs> yeah, that that actually makes the silence from Doctor Who sound a lot less scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think you know going back and reading these ideas when they were originally put put on paper when 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 they were were fresh. And and honest make makes us remember why they were good ideas in the in the first place. Yes, I completely agree with that. Yes, yes. So what you know what let's what was um let's start with Craig. What was your yeah. favorite story, and why? So, I think that. My favorite was actually, and I'm going to get to the right page here. I think I really did like um, that the, the distressing tale of Thagobrim the jeweler. Um, I, I I just I, I again it was it wasn't that very elevated style. Um, you know, it, it starts with part of it is because it starts with he heard the ominous cough and. And then it goes back and, and and comes and brings you back to sort of the or the beginning of why he was where he was in the first place. It's, you know, it's that dramatic um, mm-hmm. device of setting setting a scene, and then jumping back to the to the beginning and bringing you all the way back through to where how you got there. Um, I like the I, I the, the the in in a way the the archetype that is sort of set there of the thief, the master thief, not just any thief, but the master thief. And I like that they call him a jeweler that, that I think that's a, that was a nice little touch. He's not necessarily outright called, um, Mm -hmm. completely a thief at any one time. I mean, it's, it's very strongly suggested, but he's a jeweler. He's, he's not a, you know, and, and he's going about his business. Um, and you know, and it's, and, and I, and in some cases it's, it's one of the ones where there's a little bit more action, it's it's a I mean it's a lot of exposition it's it's, it's talking about his journey and, and and such but you get more of a complete sort of idea you learn about who he is through his journey um, a little bit more about him because you know you about how he's you know he oils himself but he's it shows how he is you know clever in the ways of you know he can mimic things he can you know mm-hmm. the, he mimics the hyena he he knows how to change his shadow shape. To, so that it looks innocuous, um, and and you know, and he is very much the I'm all business. He's not getting into it for anything really other than you know the job, and and despite every being that master thief and and everything, the you know the temple the the, the god still gets him, and, and I and I just. And, and he even realizes it at the end. Like, and I think that's the other thing is uh, beyond most of the others, you know, even if it's a split second, even if it's a split second earlier than any of the other characters, he realizes his bad end is coming before he actually turns to face it. And yet he's, you know, and he, and he still does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, the, a lot of the heroes come to a bad end and it's, and it's not necessarily like their, their fault other, other than, you know, they decide to become adventurers. Right. So yeah. All right. Uh, Aloy, 
I, I take it your favorite was uh, the the Horde of the Gibbelins. I I uh, I like all the ones that have like the horror element in them. The the Thangobrine definitely is a is the story that probably uh, contains all the elements that we associate with sword and sorcery and D and D. But for example, the House of the Sphinx. I love the horror element implicit in it. I mean, it's just a bad situation that keeps getting worse and worse. Um, the story of the three literary men is also uh, very similar to the other ones. In the, it's thieves uh, trying to steal the treasure, and again, the nameless horror that comes to get them. And, of course, the Gibbelins for the very uh, different portrayal of uh, what, what I was expecting out of that story. It, it starts very classical i suppose in the sense that it's uh the knight that wants to steal the treasure and comes up with this elaborate plan mm -hmm. and you think he has every answer covered and then it turns out really bad at the end i i just every single story is very short and it's it's i i just love the writing it's 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 so well done this because he manages to convey so much information in so little few words Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and and since you know, as as a dungeon master, you're you're trying to you're you're like all you have is words to mm -hmm, to yes. to bring the scene to life. Well, and you know now we, we have you know miniatures and, and 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 pictures and things. But you know if 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 you're looking for inspiration to to spice up your descriptions of a scene, you could you could do worse than to read. Uh, the the book the book of wonder. Does does, does anyone have a have a least favorite story? Hmm. Uh, By the way, Jeff, what's your favorite? Because you didn't say. Yeah, I was having trouble picking. So, <laughs> um, you know what? I'm gonna have to go with the wonderful window. Okay. Just, just because oh, it it yes. has that that very bittersweet quality. Um, it it reminds me of a a Tolkien story called Leaf by Niggle, um, which if you haven't read it is is about this this artist that tries all his life to to paint this one leaf, but he keeps getting you know interrupted, and you know it's 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 you know biographical about about Tolkien, and this this kind of has the same. Uh, quality to it of you know a a man who is who is trapped in in the mundane world who desperately wishes for you know just just to reach that world that's in his it, imagination or you know you know like it's it's on the other side of a of a window and he he he, he can see it but he can't hear it and he can't touch it but he just he just wants to be there and he can't yeah, I can, that's I interesting. Can, yeah, yeah I, can, I can definitely see. It. I, it's it's that it's almost the, you know, it, it's the precursor of I, you know, think of it. I can see into Narnia, but I don't have a wardrobe to get there. Or you yeah. know, I can, I, I I wish I really was in World of Warcraft, or I wish I really right. was in, you know, whatever book or movie or TV show I'm I'm enjoying at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I think any any player of games can relate to that <laughs> um i i have to say i i think i think my least favorite um was probably um how one came to the city of never 
Yes. Yes. It, uh, it just yeah. kind of seemed to go on and on. And even, yeah. even though it was a very fantastic description, we'd, we'd had very many of those by this point. And, and uh-huh. really, all all it was was the story of a boy flying on a flying horse, and glimpsing a city beyond the clouds and a city beyond that, and then coming back to Earth. Yeah, and and I think I think it might, it, like you said, it's, it might even be just because of the placement in the book. I, I think I kind of agree with you. It was, uh, and actually, uh, again, to go back to almost to to C.S. Lewis, um, it reminds me if you, if if you've read the, the the Narnia series in the final battle. Um. Mm-hmm. In that in that book, it's there's this whole sequence, and it's and it just keeps going and going of you know further in and and higher up and further in. And it's like that that never ending sort of, and you almost, you just get tired of it. It's like okay, that's great. I get that thing, each and everything around the corner is more fantastical than the next, mm-hmm. but you can only take so much of that before. Okay, you know, I, it's like I, one. I know in in Lewis, he's trying to describe um, his 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 idea of of the of of the christian yes. idea of of heaven that it's it's oh, worlds within worlds and yes in, indeed and i agree with it but that was this but i found that part of the this that of that book tiring for the same reason yeah and you're depressed because everyone has died right right but but it's 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 the same it's the same, re- the it's the same reason animals don't talk anymore <laughs> but it's the same reason i found both element you know this it's, yeah. it's you know foretold city of never and that portion of the final battle to be in that same way almost exhausting to the reader. Whereas, whereas um, the the bride of the man horse, which is one of the, the the only like truly happy stories in the mm-hmm. in entire book, is right at the beginning, and and you're you're presented with this majestic scene mm-hmm. of this centaur just leaping from hill to right. hill, blowing his his horn in the in the morning of the world, right? Yeah, yeah. If if, if city of never was at the beginning, again, maybe it wouldn't have felt so, so taxing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I agree. Definitely. Nothing seems to happen, but if it had been like the introduction to the rest of the series, uh, it might've gone over better. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I think, I think we've, um, discussed this book as much as we can. Uh, Uh does anyone have any cl- any closing comments? I would like to uh, uh, ask you what uh, they asked you in the first episode, which is, uh, who, who would you recommend this book to? Uh, I would recommend. Well, I, I, I'm going to go back to my previous statement and say it's it's for GMs who are looking to enhance their descriptive talents. You know, if if, if you're trying to describe. A scene that's supposed to be either either scary or fantastical and 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 joyful, and and also if if you just want to revisit those the you know certain very simple elements of of fantasy and remind yourself why they exist you know the the thief, the the hidden temple, the creepy forest, right? This this can this can restart your your imagination and uh you can you can remind yourself you know why why these were such you know great ideas to begin with uh and 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 also names this this book is full oh. of fantasy names like uh Thangobrind and you know Pombo you know uh Bombasharna the the fantastic city right 
Mm-hmm. Yes. If, if you're just looking for, for some fantasy names to insert into your game, you know, flip through this book, find one you like, change a couple letters. It's great. Yeah. yeah and, and Je- Jeff, to build a little bit um, on what you were saying just now, I think also for NPC characterization, like if you want, you know, the idea of this sort of inscrutable master thief to be this NPC that the characters have to deal with, this is a good place to go for that. Or, or the knight, you know, the greedy knight king, like the, you get a lot about the, the person in, in some of these descriptions. So if you want to revisit your, the way you characterize, you know, give your NPCs, especially the major ones, a little more depth. Um, and more motivation and, and, you know, something, even a backstory. Maybe you just say, all right, so now, except for the fact that, you know, maybe this guy didn't die at the gibberlings, maybe he just, he failed and he managed to escape with, you know, with the skin of his teeth. And now he's this grizzled knight in the tavern. That's his, now that's this guy and he has a whole backstory about why he is who he is. Absolutely. Yes, yes. I, I think most of the stories are uh, an exercise in world building, so I would recommend this to uh, game masters who want to, uh, who would like some inspiration for uh, uh, their games, particularly if they're working on some uh, some sort of planar travel, mm-hmm. like uh, Planescape or the game that I mentioned earlier, Everway, or even uh, the Amber Diceless role-playing game or the newer Lords of Gossamer and Shadow, which also deal with multiple worlds and traveling to different places uh this is as you said just change a couple of letters in the names and Mm -hmm. even the descriptions that he gives for the different settings each could be its own little world that you could interact with uh in during your game yeah i mean even Mm -hmm. even though these you know none of these are are fully fleshed out settings with you know maps and 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 timelines like we're like we're used to each each one is a is a sketch that that, yes. that that you could use to get, you know, quick inspiration for your your setting. You've you've got a situation, you've got a quest, and you know that that might just be enough to get you started on a fantastic evening of Dungeons and Dragons adventure. Absolutely, exactly. use it like a seed and let your let your world grow. That's awesome. <laughs> You know what, Craig? I I'd be interested to to hear if if you were to read these to your to your children, what 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 they would think. Um. Yeah. I, I definitely my uh, my older one. I think uh, would probably get a real kick out of out of a lot of these. The the younger one uh, doesn't quite have the attention span. He's only two. So he's only two. Right. Yeah. So he'll 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 we'll get him those later. Um. But yeah, I think I think maybe we'll. Uh, I'll either. I don't know that she would necessarily sit and read them herself yet, only because it's a lot of. A lot of flowery language, so to speak. Well, it's that I, very I elevated these are, style. These are great stories to read, um, to read yeah, aloud, to, to especially read to if her. you have, yeah, like if, yeah. if you have any sort of like dramatic sense or or you know acting background, or like yeah. if, even if you don't, just like these these are stories that you want to read out loud and 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 share with people. I think. Yeah, it's actually I, I hadn't even specifically thought of that, but that's actually a really good idea. I'll I'll see about. Um, doing that at some point maybe maybe it'll be something good for over the summer and then then let her kind of you know create things off of that because she loves to to draw um so you know i kind of take it full circle we have the drawings that became the inspirations for the story i'd like to see what she draws based Mm -hmm. on hearing the stories and if you listeners at home uh 
read these stories to to uh, your children, or if if you have uh, experience reading reading any great uh, literature to to your children, uh, be be sure and and share your stories with us here at the Appendix N podcast. And I'm gonna wrap things up here. Um, if you enjoyed this episode. We will be reading more by Lord Dunsany later on. Specifically, we'll be, we'll be reading uh, The King of Elfland's Daughter, which is regarded as his most successful and well-known novel. Um, but that's, that's actually not for a while. Next month, we are returning to Mars with the further adventures of John Carter in The Gods of Mars and The Warlord of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Uh, both of these are available as free books at Project Gutenberg, www.gutenberg.org. You can also find audiobooks at audible.com. Uh, recording for that will happen sometime during the week of May 26th. Uh, to get more details or to volunteer, you can email Jeff Greiner, host of The Tome Show, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Uh, make sure to put Appendix N in the subject line. He will get those messages to me. Uh, the exact date of the recording will depend on everyone's schedules. I'll do my best to accommodate anyone who wants to participate, so don't worry about your personal schedule being a factor. And if you just want to read along with us and listen to our discussion when it comes out, you're welcome to do that as well, and be sure to let us know what you think. Again, if you have any questions, comments, or feedback on the show, email jeffgreiner at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Put Appendix N in the subject line. You can visit The Tome Show's webpage at www.thetomeshow.com. And my guests, if you have a special way that you want listeners to contact you, or if you just want them to contact you through the show, uh, you can let them know now. Uh, sure, I'm on Twitter at, uh, at Umbramancer, U-M-B-R-A-M-A-N-C-E-R, or... Uh, maybe through the Tome Show uh, can forward the messages to me and I'll get back to you. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, the through the Tome Show is fine As and I'm also on Twitter uh, at C-A-B-A-E-N-Z-I-G-E-R So... Alright, all my friends are on the Twitter. I guess I should probably get on. <laughs> <laughs> one of us, Jeff. Be one of us. <laughs> uh, that'll, that'll be the day. Maybe one of these days. We'll see. Who knows? All right. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 2, The Book of Wonder by Lord Dunsany. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>